Welcome to the Humans of Real Estate, your weekly podcast chatting with real estate industry professionals. We bring you top performing individuals to showcase their knowledge and expertise in the business to help others learn and grow. Here's your hosts, Kobe Clark-Jacobs and Emily Wallace. Today, we welcome James Annett to the podcast. James, having grown up in both Stonington and Borondara, has incredible knowledge and understanding of these areas that he brings to Bell Property Armadale. Having a background in buyer advocacy, which we'll certainly unpack a little bit later in the episode, it gave him great insight into the motivation of buyers and provided him with the skill to negotiate for the best results possible. In 2017, James became the youngest partner and principal in the Bell Property Network. Welcome, James. Thanks very much. What an intro. Thanks for jumping on board. Um, Interesting, I was just saying um, off air before that you started in advocacy in the real estate journey. Yeah. So it it was, um, I sort of just fell into it, to be perfectly honest. I finished school, I started early, so I finished when I was 17. And I applied for every single real estate job under the sun, <laughs> yep. as I'm sure you can imagine. And Mo said, you're 17, you can't drive. Thanks very much. But you can't drive. <laughs> not going to be quite for us. That was quite seriously. I remember I caught trams to auctions and things at that age. But wow. um, I ended up getting a job in Brighton at a buyer's advocacy company. Yeah. And um, that's, how it all, that's how it all sort of started. So wow. 18 months into that, I was uh, approached by my now business partner, Lockie Waterfield, and he said, do you want to give sales a crack? And I said, yes. And Seven years on, here we are. There you go. Now, before getting to that point, because I do want to deep dive into that more in a minute, yep. but before getting to that point, paint the picture for us. What was childhood like? Where'd you grow up? What were your surrounds before you got to being 17 and, and being thrown into real estate? So I grew up in, as you said, Stonington, Burundara, um, sort of era. I grew up in Canterbury. I went to school at De La Salle in Malvern, yep. uh, which I think another one of your listeners. So there you go. Yep. Old school buddies. <laughs> um, but yeah, I went to De La and it really all sort of started for me, the real estate journey in year 10 okay. when we had to do work experience. Ah. I did a week at a law firm and I thought I was good at making arguments and putting things <laughs> together. And my parents certainly agreed with that. But um, it came to, I did a week in a law firm, decided it wasn't for me, too much paperwork involved. And I remember I went home to mum on the Friday night and said, look, I don't think that's quite for me. What else do I do? And mum's um, cousin was at the time pretty prominent in Bourne in real estate. And she said, you should call Paul and see what he uh, has to say and see if he'll take you on board. So I called Paul and I was there at work experience the next week. And um, at the end of the Friday, he said to me, you're going to come on Saturday. Saturday's the big day. That's the main show. And um, at the time, actually, I was really into competitive sailing, which I know is a bit <laughs> unusual, but um, I was really heavily involved, you know, state, national, I went to a world championships. Wow. I was really, really into it. And that all happened on a Saturday. So I, I very nearly didn't go, but I did in the end. Wow. And I remember we had um, three auctions that day. We sold two. There was one that didn't sell. It was a car parking, uh, sorry, a car wash in Mitcham, out of all things. Um, and it didn't sell. And we found a buyer on the Saturday afternoon and we went to the buyer's house. I remember it vividly. You can imagine what the sort of house is like when you're paying $3 million for a car wash as an investment. It was a pretty nice home. Yeah. And Paul um, Paul just coached me the, the whole drive on the way there saying, this is what we need to say to the buyer to make sure that he gives us the right amount of money. And so we turned up and I said hi. And the first thing he told me was, you need a haircut. And as a 15-year-old, <laughs> that was probably a valid point. Um, and then we sat down at his dining table and I, I reeled off list of sales per square metre rates, all that sort of thing. And he just, once I stopped talking, he said, James, I... I like you and I'm going to buy it. And he paid the full asking price. Oh, wow. And that was sort of a bit of a click moment 
for me where I thought this real estate gig could uh, could go okay. So wow, to be involved in that at fifteen, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, I was probably fortunate that it was mum's cousin a little bit. I think mm-hmm. most people you probably wouldn't get that sort of exposure mm-hmm. um, to, but obviously, you know, Paul's family, so knowing him really well probably helped me out being exposed to a bit more. Did mm. he split the commission? Unfortunately not. <laughs> I think he bought me a Big Mac on the way home, but that was about it's it. good enough. It's good what enough. a treat. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So fast forward to, you know, being 17 and, and um, being successful in getting the role in the advocacy world. Yes. Interesting. I don't know many advocates that then went to sell. It's usually the other way around. Yeah, it is usually the other way around. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's any sort of rhyme or reason to it. I was mm. 17. I was obviously pretty young and I stayed there until I was 19. So I was there for about 18 months in total. Um, a lot of, as you can imagine, at that level, a lot of admin-based sort of mm. things. But Saturdays I was I was really out and about um, bidding at auctions. Like I remember I, I bought a house at an auction once for about $1.6 million in Campbell and I caught the tram there, <laughs> which is, you know, I was 17, I couldn't drive. Um but, you know, sort of going from that, I think Saturdays is really what I liked. Mm. And so when a position came up at then Hocking Stewart, I mean, Armidale with, with Lockie, my business partner, we, we, I took it and haven't really looked back. So, mm. yeah, it's just over seven years now in, what are we, seven years and two months. So this would be your 10th year overall in real estate? I think that would be right. Yeah. yeah. Yep. How have you found real estate has changed since you started compared to now? Uh, dramatically, mm. probably to put it in one word. I mean, when I started, we were taking names and numbers on carbon copy paper. Mm. You know, I remember we'd rip the back off and it'd have the phone number blanked out. We'd leave it on the kitchen bench for the vendor. And that was sort of the feedback, wow. you know, a mechanism. Mm. And it would say, you know, John Smith's come through and whatever notes you put on them. Uh, but now, I mean, technology goes without saying. We're obviously using iPads at all open for inspections. Our database is just so streamlined. We're you know, if, if you've come through an open for inspection, you know, I actually got a notification earlier today. One of my clients has gone through an open for inspection in Yarraville. And so that's just the way that our system and database works that, you know, we're really streamlined. Vendor reporting's, you know, very easy. They can get all the stats and information because we're really now in an information age, you know, mm. particularly buyers have a lot of information at their hands and people expect it and they expect it quickly. You know, if you think of Uber and Uber Eats and that sort of thing, that sort of sets the tone. So, um yeah, that's that's really tech's a big one overall. Yeah. yeah, it does baffle me when we go to opens and people write down name and numbers. Yeah. <laughs> it does still happen. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Yep, I'm sure it does. Yeah, it's... not really sure where it goes, but um, anyway, I'm yeah. sure it ends up somewhere. <laughs> well, we used to manually have to enter them back into the into the database, and then they'd be in there, but. It's long gone now. It's just double handling. It doesn't need to happen. So in the industry for a fair amount of time now and operating in an area that you know very, very well, yeah. I mean, obviously you've been in that patch for a decent chunk. Yeah. Um, how have you seen the landscape change in the what, you know, vendors and buyers are expecting in the market? We're recording this in uh, March 2021. We're in a very um, in high inclining market right now. What's the attitude out there at the moment from both sides of the fence? I think um, I think people just want to know, you know, we've come through 12, 18 months of a lot of uncertainty. We've had um, Royal Commissions into banking in 2018. We've had a lot of ups and downs and I think people just want information. They want it quickly. You know, going back to that Uber point, immediacy is, mm. is, is just king to it all. Buyers want to know information. Buyers want to know detailed information. Um, but so do sellers, you know, and if you're not turning up to an appraisal, for example, say with 
all the sales history in the block and can give detailed analysis on this was the buyer, this was their demographic, you know, they were an investor, they've been looking at X, Y and Z other properties with us. That's that's really what people want now. Mm. And without that level of information, you, you're sort of out the back door. How do you go about your appraisals at the moment? Do you find that you are up against other agents or are a lot of your appraisals now referrals? The, the, the longer you're in the industry, the longer you're in sales, you find that more you get referral business or you get people that you know, so there's a bit less competition. Um, of course, there's an element of competition you know, there'll be there'll be times when you get called in, you want a three agents, and it's a little bit of a raffle. Um, but you know, your, your database as a sales agent is really key. And if you're not working your database properly, um, you, you're going to be in more of a scenario of who can offer the cheapest fee rather than who can actually yeah. offer the best service. Um, relationships are king. You know, if you sell for someone before or sell for a family member, they're more likely to listen to your advice, which inevitably is going to help them. You know, whether it be regarding presentation or this needs a lick of paint or or you need to put display furniture in or whatever it is, ultimately that's probably where it goes. Thinking about obviously the change that you guys had from Hocking Stewart to Bell. Yes. Um, so that happened a little while back now. February 2021. Oh, sorry, oh, 2020. I was going to say. Not last, <laughs> last month. month. <laughs> 12 months ago, 13 months ago. So... Obviously, Bell was or is a big brand in New South Wales, yep. um, very well recognised, and now you know has hit the Victorian market in a really good way. Yeah. Um, did you? What was? Was there any difference? Have you found that that's changed anything, or what's the benefit been um, in having the insights to the New South Wales teams as well that operate under the same umbrella? It's pretty interesting looking at some of the teams in New South Wales. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some some pretty aspirational real estate up there, right? You know, Sydney Harbour's extremely expensive pots point, that sort of thing. And it's good to get an insight into some of these performers that are top of the league in the country. And, and you know, that's not to say we don't have people like that here, but that's, you know, a really good insight to be in the same network. You can, you can see stats and numbers and what they're doing. Um, for us, you know, Sydney buyers, um, Sydney buyers are really good buyers. You know, a townhouse in Paran, for example, versus a townhouse in Glebe, which is an in, inner suburb in Sydney, um, you know, you're probably talking a million dollar price difference. And so the perception from some of these buyers coming down from Sydney is that this is cheap. Mm. I remember we sold one in York Street and we uh, we sold it for just a touch under one four, which was a really, really big price. And mm. it was a Sydney buyer. And they, they said after they'd bought it that, you know, compared to Sydney, this is cheap. And that sort of opened <laughs> my eyes up a little bit to this Bell network and how we can utilise that a bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, I go back to the point of our database. You know, if, if, if you, for example, Eberly are walking through an open for inspection up in Noosa, we've got a Noosa office, yeah. it'll come up there with all notes that anyone from down here in Melbourne has mm. and that's the real strength to it. You know, you can see someone that's come through from Sydney, all right, they're dealing with whoever it might be from Sydney, so let's give them a call and, and try and help them get the get the deal together and vice versa. You know, mm. there's people moving out of Victoria naturally. Yeah. Um, probably Gold Coast has been a big one, but I've just had a client buy, buy a property from our Sydney office um, just recently and, you know, leaning for me for advice. Now, I don't really naturally know the intricate details <laughs> of the Sydney market, but being able to lean on the network and do that um, has been really, really advantageous to us for mm. sure. I think that's the first time someone's mentioned that sort of cross-national yeah. network, although they exist, like, you know, um, I think to be able to leverage it in that way is really cool. Yeah, well, we're the biggest now in the country. We've got 140 odd offices, really, um, nationally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's not only New South Wales; it's Northern Territory, uh, South Australia, Queensland, 
um, and Tassie as well. So I think WA is the only state we're not in. In your introduction, Emily mentioned that in 2017, you became a principal at your Armadale office. Yes. Do you want to tell us about that? Well, it's, uh, it was a pretty exciting time, i got mm, to say. Yeah. Um, I was 22, I think, at the time. Um, so I started there when I was 19. I was 22, nearly 23. Um, and and it was just, you know, I think it was really a case of, you know, you felt as though you were getting something back to some degree. You know, mm. real estate is pretty gruelling, particularly mm. in the first couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was something that was shown to me that, you know, we, we believe in you and we think you, you're good here, so... We're going to allow you to buy into the business, and that was um, it was unbelievable. Not that opportunity doesn't come up for many people, mm-hmm. let alone at that age. And being the youngest within at that time, the Hocking Stewart Network was a pretty good privilege to it all. So, yeah, and I think it gives you also good insight into mm-hmm. other facets. You know, you can sit in your office as a sales agent and worry about sales, but it, it probably teaches you a bit more than that. You know, you you understand rentals, you understand the rental department, mm-hmm. how that works, vacancy rates, you know, and that that enables you to have better conversations with yeah. people, whether it be investors or, you know, that sort of thing, dealing with, with staff and, you know, naturally how all that works and it helps you understand people more. You know, real estate's a really people-based business mm. and you have to be able to understand people and their personality types. There's no point, you know, telling an accountant about how lovely, you know, the natural light and the green outlook because they probably don't really care about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're more concerned about what's the numbers, what's the council rates, what's the body corporate fees if that's relevant or something like that. So I think, you know, that has helped me in those elements to be able to read people better and have more probably critical discussions with with buyers and sellers. Yeah. I think, you know, that sort of position is a you know it's a business position as in you're not just a sales agent you're not just narrow-minded into your next listing actually the success of the team is your success as well exactly right and you know we've got young people coming through our office as well now and and you know it's it's pretty nice to be able to to help in that respect too and and you know you've probably got a bit more ownership in yeah than, than probably you might have previously as, as just a standalone salesperson it's a bit of a glorified role i've got to say my my goal <laughs> is you know to buy, to sorry, list and sell properties, yeah. and that's that's really my number one goal constantly. But it's good still to have an insight yeah. into some other areas. Yeah, obviously you've got a big network to draw upon and some you know key players in the industry. But outside of that, who do you draw upon for you know mentorship or just in general? Like, are there any podcasts that you listen to or a, you know books that you read? Are you a reader? Are you a listener? What do you sort of absorb that? I'm not a big reader, no. I've got to say. I'm, uh, I'm not a big reader. I think, um, well, believe it or not, I've listened to uh, this podcast. So there you go. That's a good start. <laughs> good start. Um, I think I'm probably a bit closer to home as far as mentors are concerned. Yep. Um, Lockie Waterfield, I've mentioned a couple of times. We, we used to work very closely together and still do. I'm yep. actually selling a property for him at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and also Andrew James, one of the directors yes. at my office. Andrew's been around for 25 years as of a couple of weeks ago at our office. So. Wow. You know, he's been there a long time and I think there's there's a lot of noise out there in real estate, if that makes sense. There's a lot of coaches that mm. have never listed or sold a property and that's no disrespect to them, but I probably just keep it a bit more close and, and, and sort of look at people and what they're doing in my area because every area is different as well. Mm. You know, you're dealing with different demographics of people, different styles of real estate. Mm. So I think keeping it a bit closer to home for me. Do you mentor anyone yourself? Um, uh, probably... Well, we've got a couple of young people coming up in our office now. Um, so I, I wouldn't say 
sort of directly. Mm. Um, but we're really big in our office on training. So we do, we do training multiple times a week and that's just in office, um, open for inspection training, dealing with, you know, contracts. I mean, this morning we had um, one of the young people in the office, we're talking through contracts and showing title pages and this is what's on title and this is what isn't and all that sort of stuff. So we're really big on that from an office mm. perspective. Um, but, yeah we're, 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 yeah, we're massive on that. Let's talk about your hardest transaction you've had. They're always a good story. I actually yeah. thought about this a lot before <laughs> I came in here and, and I sort of came to the conclusion and it, it sounds a little bit wanky to say but people employ professionals to sell real estate because it's actually not that easy and mm. I think the perception out there is that you have 100 buyers turn up to an open for inspection so this is going to be easy to sell and it's probably not actually the reality of it. So it did get me thinking about a, a few I've got to say but the, I think the biggest one was a house in um, in Armidale that we sold uh, for just over $1.8 million. The vendors had been there since 1949. So oh, it was that's a long time. Original. <laughs> Correct. There's an older Italian lady that was there. And um, we sold at auction, had three bidders. Three and a half weeks before settlement, the buyer calls me and says, James, I'm moving into state. I can't settle on this house. I, I need you to get me out of the contract. Oh, God. Which was obviously not ideal. The vendor now had committed to a nursing home that she was going into. She was mm. going to be moving in there that next day, naturally needed the funds, all of that. Um, and so we went to the immediate underbidder. They'd gone and bought. We went to the second underbidder. They'd gone and bought. We went back through everyone that had inspected and inquired. Um, no one was going to have any interest. Um, unfortunately, it was a really challenging spot to be in. Um, fortunately, we found a buyer and they completed the contract um, and they settled in that short time frame, which is just wow, three weeks. an absolute, you know, godsend that that happened. <laughs> but, you know, that there was a lot of other factors to that. I mean, you know, double stamp duty, how does that work? There's government mm. regulations. What what people have done in the past and used to do, and the government stamped this out, but they'd buy property in a long settlement, renovate it within that settlement period and then sell it for a profit but they'd never settle on it. It would never be in their name. So they wouldn't have to pay capital gains and they wouldn't have to pay stamp duty. Uh, and that was how, you know, developers right. were doing flips and things. Yeah. Um, and so this was not that scenario, but kind of like it where there was two buyers. So, you know, we sat in lawyers' offices for hours trying oh, to figure God. out how it was going to work and come together. But we got it together and the old uh, older lady's now enjoying herself down in uh, Rosebud. I think she's in a retirement home down oh, there. Oh, bless so, her. Yeah. Did the first buyer... Did they get their deposit back in that instance? No. No. We lost his deposit. It's a fair bit of mess around too, I imagine. And, yeah, God, I wouldn't want that to happen. (laughs) I mean, that's like one of your biggest fears, right, that a property doesn't settle. That's, you know. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think, you know, that's why you employ a lawyer as well, solicitor or conveyancer, because they're going to give you the professional advice and the right advice. Clearly, buyer one had made a decision that for him, you know, losing the deposit was a better case scenario than mm. actually settling on it. So, yeah, cra- crazy. crazy. And particularly for that price point too, $1.8 million, yeah. it's, it's a fair it, bit of money. It's a fair whack of money, yeah. definitely. What's the craziest thing you've you've seen? Like we've heard of some people, <laughs> who was it, a Christian maybe, Christian. <laughs> told us about some, you know, things that he's walked into in, in houses. Have you had any um, interesting <laughs> events happen when you've, you know, hosted an open home or gone to see a client? Um, I think, I think probably, oh, yes. Yeah. I'm trying to think. <laughs> can of, you share it? Yeah, <laughs> I can. Um, I think the, the biggest one that probably comes to my mind is just like tenants in properties, right? Yeah. When you're selling a tenant in property, naturally 
you don't have control of presentation, sometimes they're unhappy about it. Sometimes intentionally mm-hmm. they will leave a bit of a mess because mm-hmm. they're, you know, not happy about the, the way things are things are planning. I, I, I can't really probably think of one specific event, but yes, if I turned up to homes with tenants still there, I actually I say that there was one where we were selling property in Armadale and the tenants were in there and they were on the couch inside the living room during an open for inspection and they're having a really good smooch in the oh, middle of the open for inspection. Yeah. That that's probably the uh, the weirdest. That's a bit. It was <laughs> like, a bit what cringe. What do you even do with that? <laughs> I, I I actually I actually asked them to stop. I said, guys, would you would you mind just leaving the apartment? I mean, it's hard, right? Particularly for a buyer going in there, yeah. you don't feel comfortable standing no. there while that's going on. So, I don't think they were too happy about it being sold, and that was sort of their ploy. So there you go. Well, I went go. to one a few weeks ago where someone was still in bed. Yep. And she didn't want to get out. I've seen that. Mm. Dirty jocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the works. Yeah. Mm. It's, <laughs> it's it's not common. It's but. funny though. You think like tenants live a different way to owners. Like we were talking about this the other week. Yeah. We are saying like yeah. why is it when you go to tenant properties, even for rental inspections, they're so poorly presented. Mm. But then when you go to someone's house, obviously someone's styled, I understand that, but people are still living in their own home, mm. but they're so well presented. Like do people have different standards when they all of a sudden own a home or I think if you're selling your own home you've got naturally a pretty good financial involvement in what's happening yeah. and you're going to turn every stone possible to make sure it results yeah. in the best price true some tenants i've got to say you know presentation they that is really good you know yep. there's a lot of tenants that are young professionals that are never there and wear and tear is pretty pretty minimal and that sort of thing and that's probably a pre-covid term because obviously <laughs> more people are working from home now but um yeah, it's it's you're absolutely right though. Present and presentation's key when selling. Presentation is absolutely key. Mm. If you walk through a property and there's, you know, tenants in bed or it smells, you know, the windows haven't been opened mm. or something like that, the perception from a buyer immediately is, oh yeah, that's the dodgy one. Mm. And yeah. when you go and see five on a Saturday and you're the dodgy one, that's that's not really what you want. Mm. Is it hard to convince sellers to, you know, invest in staging and styling? Like does that because obviously on our side of the fence, we don't ever encounter conversations like mm. that. I've always wondered like to try and get them to have an outlay and an investment to make their property look as best as it possibly can. Do you like push for that? Is that your preference? How do you navigate that? It, well, presentation is can't be overstated mm. in, in sales mm. aspect of it. Um, it just can't be overstated. So, yeah, I think it's just important to be having a conversation with them and up front and, you know, we, we always place a big importance on that because you think about it more of as, as an investment, right? Yeah. You spend, let's call it $5,000 on getting a liquor paint here and some style furniture and that sort of thing. If that means 15000 in the sale price, mm-hmm. well, that's the return. Every dollar you spend, you want to be getting $3 back. Otherwise, yes. it's you're not doing it for fun. You're not throwing money mm-hmm. at it for fun. Yeah. But, you know, on the flip side, I mean, I've got one in Turak at the moment that's coming up and that is totally unrenovated and you know, untouched since the 70s and in pretty poor repair. And the vendors of that particular one, they, they just want to sell it as is. They don't want to put any money into it. And their attitude is that we, we're selling it as a project. So most yeah. most will do things, but if you're in it, if you're in a state of, you know, really bad repair, mm. um, some will prefer to just leave it and let, let the buyer put their own stamp on it. I remember we had one in Gladstone Street in Windsor a little while ago and it was just left, this house was left to sort of rot quite seriously mm. and we had to have from an OH&S perspective you know the flooring had sunk oh, and so there was nails there was stumps there was timber there was everything 
So we had to close the door to the living room, cut the top half of it off and put a sign on it saying, you can't go in there, but you can have a look. View only. <laughs> um, so that's probably, you know, a good example of, of something without doing the work, but most most will do it. Just in closing, James, what is some advice that you have for agents entering the industry? Uh, I think um, I think probably have, have actually a think about where you start. And I mean that ge- in geography, but I also mean that in agency and agent that you're going to be working under. So, you know, if you if you grew up in an area where you've got a lot of connections, well, you know, this is a people business. So mm-hmm. you'd be crazy to go to a new area where you know what, no one and try and start again for yourself. Um, I think if you know people in the area, that's that's probably going to be the area for you. And also align yourself with someone that's that's the top form, absolute top form, if you're there as a junior agent witnessing, say witnessing, but being involved in 20 or 30 transactions a year, your growth is going to be a lot slower than someone that's involved in 70, 80, 100 transactions mm-hmm. a year. So, you know, and, and that doesn't have to be necessarily an individual person. That can be an office that you that you follow with. But I think actually have a really hard think about it. You know, when I, I started, I was 17, didn't have his driver's license for obvious reasons. So I just applied for anything mm-hmm. and, you know, that that was that was for me and that was my reasoning for it. But advice absolutely is pick the top player in the market that, mm. that you think you know. Um, but also, you know, be smart about it. I mean, some of the big, big homes in Turak, they they it's a pretty competitive space, the agents selling that sort of stuff. And they're all good. Frankly, there's there's not really any bad agents out there. Mm. You know, if you're a bad agent, you're probably not in business. Um, but you know, looking on taking on the big homes in Turak if you're a 19-year-old competing with these people that have been in the industry for 20, 30, 40 years, that's obviously going to be challenging. So just have a think about how you how you want to get into it, first instance. Yeah, I think that's pretty sound advice, definitely. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak with you and get to learn more about your time in the industry, and I'm sure people have benefited from listening to what you've had to say. So thank you so much for jumping on Thanks board. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for having me in. Thank yeah. you. Awesome, and best of luck for the rest of 2021. Thank you, and to you.